0: You're searching for the meaning of life. On what certainties should we build our lives and the life of the community to which we belong? I have come to know among you nothing but Christ
1: and him crucified.
0: What matters is that I believe it, or rather know, not that I believe it, but that I believe it. We have hope someone who is alive today could be a saint tomorrow. That makes sense. That's why Jesus came on earth. In order to set them free with the truth of the gospel.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Upfront with the Archbishop, where our goal is to bridge the gap between the hierarchy and the faithful by discussing the beauty, truth, and challenges of our Catholic faith. My name is Jenny Conley, your host, and I'm here with Archbishop Richard Smith. Hi, Archbishop. Hi, hey, Jenny. Hey. This is a fun episode. <laughs> and before I tell anyone what we're talking about, if they didn't notice from the title already, what is your favorite whiskey? What's your favorite thing to drink if you do have a sip here and there?
0: Well, no, you're kind of making me wonder with some trepidation where this episode is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> why why am I getting nervous here, Jay? Anyway. anyway um, I keep you on your toes. <laughs> well, yes, you do that. You do that for sure. My favorite. My favorite. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I do like a good single malt scotch. Scotch. And as I say this, I, I'm, I guess I want to thank you for this opportunity to advertise the fact because is your
1: birthday coming up? No, no, I
0: just I just I just find that whenever I happen to let drop that I like a single malt scotch. Yeah. These bottles kind of start mysteriously appearing at the office. You'd also know? perhaps <laughs> perhaps this uh little advertisement today might Turn out okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Who's the patron saint of, of whiskey or, or scotch? Maybe they're sending you little gifts from up above.
0: Well, I, I have to look into that. I'm sure it was a very, very uh, deeply, deeply holy saint. I'm, I'm yeah, of, of sure. Yeah, of course. Of <laughs> <Absolutely>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, if you haven't picked up, based on the title and that question, today we're talking about the uh, Catholic relationship with alcohol and, and drinking and how we can engage with that as disciples of Christ. And as we do with pretty much every episode, Bishop, I would love to hear a little bit of your relationship with alcohol as a young adult. Do you remember ever seeing a crossover between young Catholics choosing to drink even choosing to drink to excess what was your relationship with alcohol as a young adult
0: i, I was never one to to drink much at all i must say i mean yep. the occasional beer or something like that and i guess it's only over time that that i you know developed a you know a liking for a nice whiskey or for a glass of wine or something and i do remember university days yeah you know, sometimes uh, heading out um <laughs> What we what did we call it? A pub crawl or something on oh, yeah. a certain oh, night yeah. of the week with some of our friends and go downtown. And yeah, there were a few that used to go a little bit overboard. I'll, I do remember that. Um, but not
1: Richard Smith.
0: I, well, you know what? i I think I'll reserve that to my confessor. You know, yeah, and, and yeah, fair uh, enough. You're <laughs> not the kind of thing that I really want to talk yes. about on a podcast, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my, Why my. did we come up with this topic anyway? I so. don't
1: know. I don't. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't. Yes, it was. It was a part. It was a part of your culture. Do you remember it being distinctly connected to your Catholicism, or was it just part of young adult culture? As it young really is, young adult
0: culture. And at home, every now and then we'd uh, we'd uh, maybe have a, a bottle of wine with them. It, but but even there, it was it was rare. I remember, you know, mom and dad sometimes they'd get a gift of a of a bottle of <laughs> some kind of. Alcohol and it would stay in the kitchen cupboard for sometimes yeah. years. It yeah. just it wasn't a big, big feature in our family life.
1: I guess we just wanna get into a little bit of the fact that of course it's it's well understood within Catholic circles. If you're a practicing Catholic, that, that drunkenness, using any substance to an excess is considered is considered a sin. It's not part of the Christian walk, of course. And One of the reasons that drunkenness specifically, it's been presented to me that that specifically is an issue as a Christian, is the fact that as human beings, one of the things that makes us essentially human is the fact that we have reason. We have this rational faculty. And so when we use a substance or we drink to an excess, we're disabling that faculty. So in a sense, we're dehumanizing ourselves, which is really denigrating the dignity that God has bestowed upon us um, as being created in His image, and yeah, I wonder if you have any thoughts on the fact that that is one of the reasons why, as Catholics, especially as young Catholics, when we're seeking to be disciples of Christ, that to drink to an excess is basically belittling ourselves as human beings and being dismissive of the nature that God has given us.
0: I think that I think that's good argumentation. Uh, what I would add to it is is also. Um, another human dimension and that that I think we would capture it by asking the question why? Like if, if you if you are intending to go out and get hammered, <laughs> why? Why would you do that? And I think I think, you know, psychologists today understand that if if, if it's through alcohol or through some other kind of substance then uh, people get high or they get drunk. Why are you doing that? And it, it becomes a question of what are you running from? Are there things there that perhaps are just not quite right, uh, seeking some escape? Um, And rather than running, how do you face it and how can we help you face it? And, And if there's something that's going on in my life, how do I face it so that I can become a better human being, that I can become, yes, indeed, a better Christian? Uh, St. Peter in his letter, you know, stay sober and alert. Stay sober and alert because the devil is prowling like a lion looking for somebody to devour. We can never lose sight of the fact that we are disciples of the Lord and the evil one always is seeking to fashion within us opportunities for infidelity, for turning away from the Lord. And we all know well that when we lose um, control of our senses or our intellect through drunkenness or getting high, all kinds of strange things can happen—things that that would be entirely inconsistent with the gospel, inconsistent with our dignity as a Christian people, and certainly inconsistent with what we would normally want when we are sober uh, to be doing or to be saying. Uh, at issue here, too, it seems to me, a couple things: the issue of stewardship. Um, Christ has given us a body unity of body and soul with intellect, reason, and so on. And all of Christ's gifts are to be stewarded in accordance with God's gracious purposes for us. And that means a proper governance of self in a way that will be in, in, according, in accordance with our dignity. Uh, I think related to that, we can also think of what is given to us in the gift of baptism. So in baptism... We're united to Christ, Christ in his threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. And so, uh, as baptized people, we, we participate in the, the priesthood of Christ, we participate in the prophetic office of Christ, but we also participate in the kingship of Christ, the, the, the sovereignty of Christ, which the baptized exercise by the help of grace through a self-governance. Right? Maintaining a proper oversight over how I live and am I always living as a Christian, and that 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 requires vigilance at all times, you know. And when we're in a state of drunkenness, then we're acting counter to that God given call. So to self govern ourselves that we live in a way that is consistent with our baptismal dignity. Now, among the gifts of God, you know, are the gifts of of wine. <laughs> gift of single malt. Right? <laughs> these, are, these are the things that, that we can enjoy, but enjoy in moderation, exercising al- always one of those cardinal virtues of temperance. Right? We don't need to go uh, overboard, and we really ought not to go overboard. Um, if we if we do enjoy a drink, then what are, what are the circumstances in which that would make most sense? Probably not a good idea to drink alone. Certainly not a good idea to drink when I'm depressed right? Or angry, trying to escape something. But, you know, if there's a a moment of celebration, if there's a moment where we do want to relax with friends in a way that's that's healthy and good, you know, good leisure, then, you know, to be able to enjoy God's gifts in that way, but always in moderation, I think is also one way of celebrating the creation that God has given us.
1: I really appreciate that connection between our kingly status mm-hmm. as baptized individuals and the fact that drunkenness, any excessive behavior yeah. in that manner really dismisses the fact that we're we're kings, we're queens mm-hmm. spiritually speaking, right? Yep. Yeah. Now to play devil's advocate, what would you say to someone who says, well, I just get drunk or I'm gonna get high just for fun. It's a it's a pleasurable pleasurable experience. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, of course I don't want to get into any serious trouble or commit any other serious sins, but it's, it's a physical experience that I enjoy and I'm going to do it with some good friends. It's not a big deal. I just want to have fun.
0: so there's an inner contradiction there, right? To say, oh, I just want to have fun, but I don't want to get in any kind of trouble. But, but having fun in such a way that you go blotto, well, you're, you're, (laughs) 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 I haven't heard that one before. (laughs) I mean, you're losing control.
1: Right, okay. So you
0: no longer have that control that would enable you to ensure that you're not getting into trouble, not, get, not doing things that would be inconsistent with our Christian identity. So there's, a, there's an inner contradiction there, which again raises for me the question of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would question uh, someone that would say, it's just for the sake of pleasure, that's just what I'd kind of like to do. No, there's got to be something else going on if I'm deliberately considering uh, getting drunk or high.
1: Yeah, which actually segues to an interesting point because I know that within different Protestant Christian denominations, there's a relationship with alcohol where, in, again, in some denominations, alcohol is completely not part of their Christian faith. Drinking any amount is not part of how they view Christian behavior. And then I know, I mean, I'm an Irish Catholic. Of course, within Catholicism, Catholics are known for their relationship with alcohol. I mean, not only do we is it sacramentally part of our liturgy appropriately mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. The, the body and blood of Christ but also just catholic culture has a lot of connections with with yeah some <laughs> enjoying a beverage or to well, li- right?
0: li- life life is to be celebrated yeah. life is god's gift and at the heart of life is the gift of redemption which is essentially quintessentially joyful and so there are many reasons for which we as Catholics, understanding life as God's gift, as something beautiful and wonderful, understanding the redemption, right? And our life in Christ is something that's of, of extraordinary wonder. There are moments when we do want to celebrate, and one of the ways in which we can is to enjoy a glass of wine or a sip of whiskey or something, you know. But again, it's always with that within the virtue of, of temperance and, and moderations so that I can always celebrate in a way that I'm still maintaining my dignity as as a Christian. Right,
1: And so connected to that argument of, I just want to have fun, what is the Catholic relationship with pleasure? Because it is pleasurable to get drunk, to get high. Not everyone who's participating in that kind of behavior is running from some terrible trauma or depression, right? Of course, that is a way that substances are used. But if you're in a position where you're just thinking, I just really enjoy the physical experience of this and i'm not really listening to this idea of dignity as a catholic how do i have a healthy relationship with pleasure
0: well we're not created for pleasure okay we're created for joy Mm. um i think excess excessive of concentration on pleasure leads to hedonism pleasure for its own sake. And and we're, we see that in abundance in our Western culture today. But no, we're called to something beyond that, something more wonderful, something deeper. We're called to joy. Christ says, I've come that you might have joy and have it to the full. And uh, joy comes from living who we are, living who we have been made to be by the death and resurrection of Christ and the gift that he has given to us in the sacraments. And, and joy comes from living with that awareness and uh, that, that that depth of joy that can, yes, find expression in celebration, um, but is far different from just mere pleasure. Mm-hmm. And if we forget that distinction and focus only on... Um, Pleasure in a in a hedonistic kind of way, then we're very very close. In fact, we're probably already stepped over that boundary into almost a like a, like a profound self centeredness and, and focusing upon the self and just living for the sake of what's going to make me happy and pleasurable. But joy, joy is different because joy is joy is related to the cross. Joy is related to the cross, and, and the cross itself is is self sacrifice, self transcendence, getting out of self, to be for God and to be for the other, to living as God has created us to be. Um, that's where we find the roots of, of joy. And it's within that broader context, I think we need to be making all of our other discernments.
1: Hmm. I really appreciate that idea that we're not made for pleasure, we're made for joy. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the main scriptures that's often considered in reference to the Catholic relationship with alcohol is, is the wedding of Cana. It was Jesus's first miracle where he turned water into wine. It was in a celebratory context. The guests at the wedding would have been partaking in this wine. And I'm curious about your perspective on the fact that not only did Jesus choose his first miracle to be water into wine, but he also chose to do it at a wedding where, at least in a modern sense, that is often a place where people excessively drink, right? Mm. It just, it happens. There's a lot uh, a lot of alcohol that's accessible. do you think that Jesus would have been concerned that he could have been creating uh, a near occasion of sin? It's a funny little question, but I know a lot of people find it interesting that that's what he chose as his first public manifestation of a miracle.
0: Well, the way that uh, St. John puts it in his gospel, this was the first of the signs that Jesus gives gave and and Jesus in giving those signs was uh, was indicating, who he is among his people. And so within that Johannine context, we have to say, okay, what's the message that's being uh, communicated here? So first of all, the context is the wedding. And Jesus has come as bridegroom for his people, for his church, which is the bride. And so what's being communicated through that context itself of a wedding is the nuptial union that Christ wills to establish with his people as he's going to be giving his life for them, drawing them into this covenantal union of love with him and through him to the Father. Mm-hmm. Within that uh, context itself, too, there is the role of wine, which which is a symbol of joy. We talked about joy earlier. And the fact that at the wedding, this particular wedding, they ran out of wine is a symbol that, Apart from Christ, our lives are evacuated of joy. We need Christ in our relationship with him to bring us to the fullness of joy that only he can give, that can only happen through that nuptial union with our Lord. And the fact that he created so much wine of superb quality was to say that the love of Christ, the bridegroom of his people, is, is, uh, is of the finest nothing can surpass this and it is super abundant more and more and more than 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 we can more than we can absorb in any one particular time right so this it's this symbolic communication of message that is uh, really what's at play in the wedding feast of cana mm-hmm.
1: and it's interesting that he his first public manifestation of a miracle was a wedding feast and his entire incarnation was to beckon us to the wedding feast of heaven right it's kind of like very good two two bookends uh that are very celebratory (laughs) (laughs) very
0: celebratory absolutely
1: yeah now again what about the near occasion of sin because i mean there's no way for us to know the particulars of that specific wedding and that that's a tangential it's something that we can't necessarily know about the wedding of cana but as catholics when we want to enter into that joy of the bridegroom we want to celebrate with prudence, with temperance, and we don't want to do it in an excessive manner. How, when we're engaging with our, our favorite scotch, <laughs> how do we not create a near occasion of sin? How do we create a culture where it's genuinely celebratory instead of walking the line?
0: Yeah, well, just keep always asking ourselves the question, Why? Why am I why am I doing this? Why might I be going in this particular direction? It becomes the question once again of of self governance and and a continual asking of myself, Well, who am I? You know, who and who have I been created to be in Christ and and is my primary goal in life to live in accordance with that dignity so that I'm living fully the joy that Christ would would want me to live and, and let that be the the governing context for all of our discernments as, as we're entering into these particular circumstances and questions. The other thing that I would add to that uh, is um, to be conscious of developing a, a culture of authentic friendship, to be with others that that share in our, in our Christianity, not even maybe who share in our Christianity, but just share in our good company, wanting to live good, upright lives, and, and really wanting to support one another in living fully, living in a manner that's wholesome, and certainly within a Christian context, living in a manner that really has places us on that pilgrim pathway towards eternal life, a culture of friendship in which we really, if I can put it this way, really do want to help one another to get to heaven. So within that context, we make all of our determinations. Um, how are we supporting one another? If we see one another that's starting to get uh, a little bit too drunk, you know. Why not, as an authentic friend, say, you know what? Why are you doing this? Where are you going? Rather than just kind of laugh it off or or encourage it, and and hopefully, if I end up going in that particular direction, my friends will say to me, hey, "Hold back, right? This is really probably not what you want to be doing." And the more we can fashion that real friendship and companionship among among a, among a genuine community where we 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 enjoy one another's company, we are helped by one another's company, that that can help us um, come to the right decisions, which otherwise just on our own and alone and discern deciding for myself, I might not be able to reach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that, cultivating a rich culture of friendship, the kind of friends who, maybe not overtly, but they're the kind of friends who will say, are we, tonight, are we pursuing just, Pleasure? Or are we actually pursuing the joy of the Lord? Do we want to celebrate together, or are we just trying to basically shut off together? Are we yeah. trying to engage with life or disengage with life? Those kind of questions are the, I think, the kind of questions that we want good friends to ask us constantly.
0: Yeah, and the more we become comfortable in that, the more we're not even going to be asking those questions. It would just be right. an automatic. Um, uh, a thing that we like a natural thing that we would do as a community of friends in the Lord, seeking to support one another in the journey of discipleship.
1: Mm-hmm. I often think about that the the camaraderie that the disciples would have had with our Lord, but also amongst themselves, and the fact that I mean they were physically, I mean we also have the physical presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but in His human person, as He was in in biblical times, the disciples were able to, of course, participate directly with the source of joy in a sense. So there would have been. I can only imagine that sense of, of celebration. Yeah, but and if, when
0: and when he sent them out, he sent them out two by two, right? Right. Didn't yeah. send them out alone. Companions, mm-hmm. all right? Community. This is so yes, this the source, the heart of our joy is Jesus himself, you know, mm-hmm. who does send us out, but he sends us out precisely as a community in him so that we're able to give one another the support that we need in this in this life of discipleship, in this life of integrity, in this life of stewardship of all the beautiful gifts that the lord has given us we need to support one another in that
1: Mm -hmm. well i'm so grateful for all of your wisdom on this topic because i know especially in young adult years there can be lots of grappling with some of these issues especially when culturally something like drunkenness is just common it's something that we don't think about critically necessarily as especially in a secular Context, mm-hmm. so to be able to engage with it with the wisdom of the church, to hear the bishop speak on it, and to be connected to those issues that are a part of our d- sometimes our daily lives um, when we're in different seasons of life is I'm, I'm so grateful that you're willing to to speak on that, and also just I, I I really appreciate that note of of building a better culture of friendship because I think that makes all the difference when we're when we're in seasons of life where we're struggling with discipleship mm-hmm. who we're going to celebrate with makes all the difference.
0: It does. Yes, indeed.
1: So at the end of every episode, we have a segment called Ask the Archbishop Anything. And if you're a listener tuning in, you're able to go to the Archdiocesan website and record a question that you have for the bishop. And at the end of every episode, the bishop will answer one of those questions. So today we have a question from a listener. Here's the question. Hi there. My name is Michelle. And my question for you, Archbishop, is if we as parishioners are going to see a return of the precious blood during mass, and if so, when are we going to see that return now that the um, pandemic we're kind of coming out of this time and how will it look different. Thanks. Love the show.
0: Um, I would say we'll return to that eventually. I can't give you an exact uh, timeline for that. Um, We, I think we would find that a, Yes, there's still a presence of COVID out there. And I think we'd find still present out there a lot of nervousness among the people but wanting to uh, avoid any practices that might help to facilitate the spread of the virus. So we'll have to monitor that carefully. Two things to keep in mind, it seems to me, is that yes, I think for the fullness of the sign, um, for the sign action of receiving Christ in Holy Communion, then it's, it is it, it is always wonderful to be able to receive him under the species of of, of the bread, his body, and under the species of wine, his true blood. Uh, at the same time, though, I think we need to keep in mind a principle of Eucharistic theology that we call concomitance, which is to say that Christ is fully present in either species. So if I receive Communion only through reception of the host. It doesn't mean I'm receiving half of communion, as it were. Each of the species is truly the presence of Christ. And so, um, in that sense, to re- to be fully in communion with Christ through the sacrament of the Eucharist, it's not necessary that we receive him under both species. So it's good to, to keep that in mind. And, uh, you know, if you follow the rubrics of the Church, it's it's interesting that they'll say that reception of the precious blood really ought to be limited just to key special occasions through the year. And now that we've come through the pandemic, I'm understanding the practical wisdom behind that. And sometimes our rubrics without us knowing the history grew out of particular practices and experiences of the people. So we've had plagues in the past and so on. So what we always want to make sure we do whatever we can do to limit the spread of these terrible things. And so, it could very well be just practical experience from the past that it's that's behind the rubrics that 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 would, would say don't be indiscriminate about sharing the precious blood. It might make more sense to do it just at special times when we want, um, because of the dignity of the occasion or something, to, to show the full um, the full expression of the sign.
1: Yeah, you said that you can I mean, regardless of whether you receive the the bread or the wine, it's fully Jesus, right? Truly. It's a hundred percent Jesus. It wasn't always the norm within the church then to receive both the body and blood. Is well, that you know correct? there
0: was a time in the church in the Middle Ages when, out of reverence for the Eucharist, um, reception of it was actually rare um, in any
1: form. yeah,
0: people would go for a long time without receiving, so so deeply aware were they of their unworthiness to receive this sacrament. Um so over time that has that has that has been overcome. The yes, we're sinners, of course but the Lord is giving us this gift, and so we need to be prepared to receive it.
1: Well, thank you for answering that question, and thanks for listening to anyone who is tuned in. We'll see you next week.